podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's a fucking disgrace. Oh, it's not a bad ball for Pelle on the right side. It's Carlos Alberto. And what a great goal that was. Carlos Alberto. Maradona just walked away from Hoddle then. team you support that kind of thing yeah of course well yeah firstly thanks for having me um i think it's a really cool concept that you guys have got going and so i'm i'm um, i'm pleased to to join you um yeah my name is vince i as you will hear by my accent um i was born in australia born and raised in australia but um with a with dutch background and i mean um, my dutch identity and football go hand in hand because i remember um when I was a young boy living in the Netherlands, um, my family had moved to the Netherlands for a period of time and it was 2000, you know, and the European Championship was being held in the Netherlands and, and Belgium. And um, I just remember, you know, this was my first real experience with, with football and um, the excitement of the tournaments. And that, so those, were, those matches were some of my earliest football memories that I can really recollect. And so I carried that with me when I went back to Australia and then started sort of following the, the Dutch national team, you know, here and there, just recognizing players like um, Edgar Davids, um, Dennis Bergkamp, these kinds of guys. Um, so that's sort of my history with, um, with the Dutch national team or maybe the, the start of it. In club, in club land, I support um, Sydney FC back in the Australian league. And in the Netherlands, um, our set, um, you know, always coming third or, or fourth. Um, but, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the other duck. But uh, yeah. I think a great development club um, that really punches above its weight. So, yeah, that's that's a short introduction to me. Mm-hmm. And do you have like a favorite memory of maybe watching the Netherlands, like maybe a game from the past that like really sticks out? Yeah, it's grabbing you. It's um. I, the one that came to me, and and maybe it's because of your your headline, you know, the scoreless uh, thriller, was actually um, Euro two thousand Italy versus the Netherlands. Oh, the two penalty misses. Yep, exactly. Oh um, you know, Toldo, Toldo, you know, saving saving the first from I think the Boer, and then yeah. Patrick Kluivert hitting hitting the hitting the woodwork, then. But the real like memory for me in that match was Yap Stum's um, penalty in the penalty shootout. You know, just going like going to the moon because my brother, <laughs> my older brother and I, we thought obviously we were supporting the Netherlands, but we still just thought it was so funny that this guy had missed, you know, missed the penalty so badly. So that's that's something that is maybe slightly controversial. That's a that's a big memory for me. But it was almost painful to make the Netherlands do the penalty shootout after <laughs> missing two penalties during the game. Look, <laughs> it's like... I think it was one of those matches, yeah, you know, had real some like during the match. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the the outcome is like predetermined. I think really by the time it came to penalties, it was a foregone conclusion. Yeah, morale was down. Until yeah. broken. Exactly, but I mean, as a Dutch supporter, you're um, or a supporter of the Dutch men's national team you learn to sort of not get too too hopeful but um i mean and or you know or at least in my lifetime i've never experienced you know success or in terms of silverware with the dutch men's national team um but the 2014 world cup um in brazil was was great to watch along um and i remember i think it was the quarterfinal um, against Mexico and Huntelaar, um, Placian Huntelaar, 
um, scores the winning penalty late on after I after a slightly dodgy uh, Robin uh, <laughs> yes, yes. ball in the corner of the box. I, what is it? No, no era penal or something like this. Yeah. Um, but I remember um, celebrating. You know, it's the middle of the night. Um, celebrating back in Australia and um, jumping up and down. And there was a actual photo, actually similar to you know, like behind me. And I've hit, I've hit that, or I don't know what's happened. But at some point, I turned around and looked at this, this, um, or actually this painting. Yeah. It was my mother's painting, oh, yeah. and it's got a big glass um, crack in it. I'm like, oh. Okay, that's not good, but hey, look, we're um, one round further, and um, that was a really good memory for me following following the Oranja. Yeah, those time. moments are the best, though, right? When it's just sheer ecstasy, and you don't care what happens. I, Absolutely. I remember when, Absolutely. Yeah, when we watched the German Germany Brazil match. Um, we were watching it at, at my place on the couch, and because because I'm from Germany, we're talking 20, 2014, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, then everyone was just jumping up the, the up and down on the couch after all the goals. And at one point, it just yeah. broke like right in the middle. <laughs> and we just <laughs> couch and, not couch and had enough. Just very low, but no one no one <laughs> cared one bit because it was just yeah, she ecstasy. I yeah. oh my god! Cou- wow, couch was like like a hundred feet. Yeah, that's that's a really nice nice memory yeah. and yeah that's mm. you know like football should be in a stadium and, and 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 fans should be in the stadium i think this is maybe a wider topic yeah. um especially with the whole um corona thing but just those 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 sort of happenings where your energy is a bit too wild um that's the thing that reminds me of when i'm in the football stadium just grabbing that random person next to you when a goal goes in or it just yeah, that utter utter yeah. ecstasy is just what football's about for for me in in a sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talking about like this summer after not qualifying for like the last two tournaments, mm. like in the World Cup in eighteen and then the Euros in sixteen, like what is the kind of realistic expectation for the Netherlands this summer? Do you think? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and and yeah, you phrase it um, perfectly because yeah, missing last two major tournaments, um, there's it's hard to really know where the team is at in terms of there's a lack of experience or tournament hardened experience. I think, you know, I was looking at the squad list um, uh, the other day and, you know, maybe five or six players have played in, played in what that world cup in, in 2014. So it's, it's a very unknown. I think um, realistically uh, maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this, but, you know, a quarterfinal is 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 realistically, you know, that's a, that's a good performance. I think a semifinal is is very, you know, I'd be very happy with that. And and let's see, but it's a tournament, hey. You know, form goes out the window. Yeah. Pre, you know, not preseason friendlies beforehand. It's hard. It's it's not a science, you know. So, um, yeah, let's see. And yeah, let, let's see what let's see what happens. Um, I mean, the group, you look at the group that the Netherlands have been in with, with Austria and uh, Ukraine and, and North Macedonia, you know, from the outside, you say, okay, the Netherlands are the clear favorite of the group, but yeah. you don't want to underestimate those, those, those sides or any opponent. Um, you just have to, I think you have to focus on yourself, of course, um, with respect to your opponent. Um, I think it was, I think it was Kraif who said, uh, Johan Kraif who said, you know, you control, you know, we don't worry about the other team. We control what we do. And so I think that's important for the Dutch national team to do this time. But, but surely that's easier to say in that group than in the group F, where Germany's in and you've got French, France and, Spain, and Portugal. Yeah, look, I think that for me, God, I don't, I wouldn't want to be in that group if I was one of those teams. But then at the same time, there's, is it not great? Well, you, if you want to win, you're in it to win. Oh, I agree. You know, yeah, yeah. If you're one of these teams, and let's let's beat these teams in the group stages. Like I remember, 2008, um, the Netherlands was paired with uh, Romania, Italy, and France, and destroyed Italy and France particularly. Um, and those are some of like those are some bloody fantastic, um, fantastic games. And unfortunately, the Dutch went out <laughs> in the next round. I think to Russia. <laughs> yeah. yeah um so look i think let's look let's see what happens um i hope they win you know nine points and i think then you know we'll see if they reach the the round of 16 nine points 
you know, the belief will in the country and, and myself will just go yeah. like, you know, we'll just go Sky vertically rockets. straight up. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, jo Jose Mourinho once described Frank de Boer as the worst manager in Premier League history. Mm -hmm. Do you, has he done much to sort of, because uh, the, the, his record since he took over for Ronald Koeman has been a bit mixed. Mm. Do you think he's kind of done enough to sort of uh, turn that around, that perception of him? Look, I think he'll be judged heavily on what, what the team achieves um, in this tournament. And I think that'll be results-based. Um, as we said earlier, you know, missing two tournaments, there's no record to show. Um, I, so... I don't. I don't think he's the worst um, English Premier League manager in history. Um, that's a, that's another debate. But uh, yeah, he'll be he'll be judged on what he does this tournament. Um, the recent results are patchy. Um, you know, at what when I looked through last time they lost was away in Istanbul, Istanbul, I, and that's a, that's a tough place to go. Um, a draw, a recent draw. You know, a couple of days ago against Scotland. Sure, not great. But look, what's looking at let's look at the the end goal um and leading into a into a pre-season uh, not pre-season a friendly before a tournament yeah um it's not about the result you know no one's going to remember if they drew 2-2 with scotland if they if they win the cup it's just about getting match fit yeah absolutely getting match fit and he actually made a really good um call the other day um yes for Silison, um goalkeeper potentially our number one at this tournament um, contracted uh, COVID and he said, okay, I had to make a tough call. Do I keep him in the squad, isolate him and see how he is if he's fit? He just said, okay, it's a tough, it's an emotional decision. And it's really terrible for, for Silison, but he cut him from the squad and he's brought in um, uh, Bizot, the goalkeeper for AZ. So that's fine. I think he's, mm. he's ready. I think it's now or never. So good luck to him. Yeah. yeah. If, if the Netherlands are to have a good tournament, who do you think will be someone who's going to like drive the team for? Like, who is going to be like the key players for? Yeah, in their success. I mean, you have to say you have to say um, Vijnaldum, of course, um, stepping up as I think uh, as captain now. Um, I would really like to to see um, Memphis Depay as well. Um, you know. World Cup 2015, he was one of the, the best young players. And I think, you know, this is a chance for him to stake a claim for himself. Um, and also in the back line, um, Matthias de Licht, you know, 21 years old, yeah. uh, what, 20 odd caps. You know, he's, he's a captain in waiting. And I think um, he has to he has to really step up and lead the, lead the back line. So, um, and one more, I think that I would like to be pleasantly surprised by is um, Vonderbeek. You know, he sat for about half the season on the bench or just got a lot of um, substitute appearances for United. And um, for his sake, at least, I would I would love it if, you know, he pops up with a couple of goals, has some good performances, um, because I know there were a lot of people criti criticising his inclusion um, in the squad. So, you know, I think he's someone that could, on his day, can be really good. Mm -hmm. I have um, one final question that we've been asking everyone for for all our countries, and it's if you were to go for a beer with the player past or present from the Netherlands, who would it be? I um past. Can I can I say past and yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, take them take both. Them, take them separately. God, okay. God. Um, the past. Um, I'd probably have to form a five-a-side team. Really, it's tough to make one. Let's uh, start with the lads. No, let, let's say let's say um, Rouge van Nistelrooy. I just thought he was an unbelievable, um, unbelievable player, and his record isn't as high as it should be. Um, he, he should have he should have played more games for the Dutch national team, but I guess there was history there with Van Basten. Um, and I he spoke at what was it? Oxford University. There was like a YouTube video and he just is a really good speaker. Um, and present, I would probably say again, Matthias de Licht. Um, I'm a center back myself and I think I would love to to, to pick his brain. And um, yeah, I think he, he seems, you know, any guy that can play center back for, for Ajax, lead them to a semi-final and, and Juventus now, like he's got to be all right. So I'd, yeah, Van der Rooy, fast. Delicht right now.
Yeah, yeah so two good, good choices. Also, like how you're 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 taking this beer as an opportunity to like improve. Yourself yeah, where you're not like looking for like a good night out. It's like I want to get look, some, you know, because yeah, look. to get the get the beer the beer uh, beer canisters out. Sure, yeah, yeah. show some tactics. <laughs> look, 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 my time, my time. You know, my my chance. There was a time where I thought, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll. Uh, I that was my dream. You know. At like every person's dream to, to play yeah. a professional sport but uh but i can still always improve just if it's just the, the park football as well so yep thanks all right thank you so much for joining us absolute ple- pleasure evening. all the best with your projects take care so our next guest is uh runs the macedonian football for the account on Twitter, and we're going to be discussing Macedonia. Alexander, do you want to give a little bit of an introduction to yourself? Yeah, well, my name is Alexander Zlotowski. I was born in Macedonia, and when I was 11, my family immigrated to the United States, but I remain a football fan, and even now in the United States, I still follow football, and I'm the manager of the Macedonia account. I'm excited to be on your show. Yeah, so for this Euros, Macedonia are, along with Finland, like the those two countries making their debut at this tournament of Macedonia and Finland, like I said. And for a lot of people, they won't really know much yep. about the Macedonian football or like the football team. What has been kind of like the journey in the last couple of, year, couple of years, which has allowed them to compete at this tournament? It's been a wild journey. I mean, like you said, we didn't qualify via the traditional route. We qualified via the Nations League. So what happened was when the when UEFA created the Nations League, we were in League D, which is the bottom tier. But the way the system worked is one League D team was guaranteed to be in the Euro 2020. And, and why not us? So basically, that was the goal from the coaches to the players. Let's capitalize on being in League D of the Nations League and try to be that one team in League D that gets to Euro. So basically, we won our League D group in the Nations League. Then we got to the playoffs. We had to play Kosovo in the semifinals. We won that game 2-1. And then in the final, we played Georgia and we won that game 1-0. So it's been a crazy journey. But I think the players deserve it. They've really improved over the past couple of years. They've also been more competitive against quality sides. Recently, we beat Germany. So this is not a fluke. I think this team deserves to be at Euro 2020. And I think there'll be a pleasant surprise. Yeah, you mentioned the the win over Germany um I'm curious about like how that was kind of received because I think that was the result that people all around Europe like took took notice of like well wow like we've talked about whenever somebody plays Macedonia it's not a question of how much it's not a question not a question of whether you beat them it's how much you beat them by but like this result really made people sort of take notice of uh, Macedonian football well, I think everybody was kind of shocked by the win. I mean, I don't think anybody expected it. But basically, the players approached that game with, like, no pressure. Okay, we go into Germany, we play on the road. Everybody expects a loss. Let's just go out there and do our best and see what happens. I think Germany, looking at that game, I think they kind of probably underestimated us. They were thinking, oh, we can just show up and win. And, it's, and it doesn't work that way. So, ultimately, if you watch that game, I mean, that win was deserving. It wasn't a fluke. Win. It wasn't like a smash and grab. It was a deserving win. We had a couple of calls that didn't go our way with the referee. Like, there was a clear penalty that should have been called on a Chan handball. That wasn't called. Germany got a fluky penalty on the other end. So, I mean, that was a game where, if you watch it, I'm like, I was very impressed with how they played, and that was a fully deserved victory. So, I think that win happening just before Euro 2020 is a huge plus because it's going to give the players confidence. And you know what? If you can beat Germany on the road, you can play with anybody. So, in this group, having the Netherlands, Ukraine, and Austria, I think if you can beat Germany, you can certainly play with those three teams in, in the group. And is that also the takeaway point for most of the fans in Macedonia? Do they now think, okay, we beat Germany, so you know, who who else can can stop us now? Well, the thing about this team is, even in the past, like the problem with the team was always mentality. Like we would always get up to play to play big sides, but we would always kind of just not take a bad side seriously. I mean, if you look at the results in the past, I mean, this team has drawn against England. This team has drawn against the Netherlands multiple times. This team has drawn against Portugal, Belgium. This team drew against Italy. So they've always been capable of pulling off a shock result against the big sides, but then they would lose to Andorra or they would lose to these minnows that they have no business losing to. So the mentality was always bad. And I think that's been the biggest takeaway over the past couple of years. The mentality has improved. They beat the sides they're supposed to, and they always kind of play the big side stuff. So ultimately, I think the reaction in, in, in our country has been one, that, you know what, the players are finally, you know, showing professionalism. 
they're taking every game seriously and they're beating the teams they're supposed to and then doing their best when they play better sides. Yeah, do you know what was at the core of this shift in mentality? What what inspired this? I think the biggest thing was in 2017, the under-21 generation qualified for the under-21 Euros. And they came first in a group that included France and Ukraine. And France was loaded back then. I mean, they, you can just look at that yeah. under-21 squad. You can just look at that under-21 squad from France in 2017. And this team, our team at that time, came in first in that group to qualify. So I think after that tournament in 2017, you had seven or eight of those under-21 players get loaded. And they brought in a lot of youthful energy. And they also brought in a winning mentality and some fighting spirit. And that was needed. So I think the biggest kind of, you can say, the biggest thing that kind of shifted everything in a positive direction was those young guys coming in. They're kind of naive. They don't know any better. And they brought in that fighting spirit. And I think that was probably the biggest key to the turnaround. Who are some of the players, for, for people who won't know much about the Macedonian team, obviously they recognize uh, Pandev and Arioski at Leeds. But who are some of the other players who that you know people may not know so much about and who might actually like uh, surprise people? I would single out Eli Filmas, midfielder from Napoli. He's somebody who loves the big stage, and he's very talented. I mean, he doesn't take a backseat to anybody when it comes to talent. I think Eli Filmas is primed to have a huge tournament. Enis Bardi is a very solid midfielder as well. I think people that watch La Liga know him. He's a phenomenal free kick taker, but he's also more than that. He's just he's not just a specialist with free kicks. He's also a very good open field player as well. So Eli Filmas, Enis Bardi. Then you look at another midfielder, Ariana Demi. He plays in Croatia with Dinamo Zagreb. This year, Dinamo Zagreb had a great run in the Europa League. I think they reached the quarterfinals, and he was the captain. I mean, he's he was a big part of that. So I would say those three midfielders, Elmas, Bardi, Ademi. And then in the defense, I would keep keep an eye on the two center backs, Velkovski and Musli. I think both of those guys have eyes on making big transfers after year 20, and I think they're going to really have a good showing as well. And with this young and impressive team setup, what do you think is a realistic goal for the team at the Euros? Well, again, I think the group is not that bad. I mean, I think most people say, oh, you guys are outsiders, you, you will lose every game. And I don't think that's frankly fair. I think when you look at this group, you got Austria, Ukraine and the Netherlands. I mean, there's no reason to fear Austria. There's no reason to fear Ukraine. I think a realistic, ambitious goal should be, you know what, let's get to the round of 16. That should be yeah, the goal. Because so, with, with, with three teams going through, like it does make it very open for like yeah. the, the the ones below the top. Yeah, because like you said, there's 24 teams in Euro 2020. Out of those 24, 16 will go on to the round of 16. That means four third place finishers from the six groups will also advance. You know what? You get one win. I think three points may be enough to get you to the round of 16. So why not try to target a win against Austria or Ukraine? There's no reason to fear them. I mean, there's no reason you can't get a result against those sides. It's not like you're in... Like Hungary has an impossible task because they got Portugal, they got yeah. they got Germany. <laughs> to me, that's unrealistic for Hungary. But I think Austria and Ukraine, absolutely, you can beat Austria or Ukraine. And then Netherlands, I mean, yeah, they're a big side, but then they're not the same with Frank Devore, who's a terrible manager. So why not why not surprise them yeah. if possible? I mean, and plus the way the schedule sets up, Netherlands is the third team you play. So at that point, Netherlands could have everything wrapped up, so they may have nothing to play for. So I think the schedule, the way it's set up, it's also very positive as well. You got you Austria first, then Ukraine, and then Netherlands. So, do you? Yeah, I think. No, sorry. Go sorry, ahead, go Alex. Yeah. No, I just think like targeting that first game against Austria will really like tell a lot about what's kind of achievable for North Macedonia. Because if they if they win that game or get a draw, then like everything is everything is open for them, right? Yeah, in Austria, I mean, if you look at Austria's history, they typically do not do well in big tournaments. Austria, I think, mm -hmm. is a very talented team. We had them in Euro 2020 qualifying, so we know them and they know us. But So they have a lot of talent. I mean, Alaba, Arnutovic, they have plenty of talent. But one thing about Austria, if you look at their track record, is they typically do very poorly on the big stage. They do very badly in Euros. And so I think Austria is certainly gettable. I really do. Do you already know where you're going to watch the matches? Is there any particular spot? Some friends, some bars? What's the plan? Well, I watch it at home. I watch it at home because you know when I'm watching, I'm also I'm also on the Twitter account. I I do minute by minute analysis, so in that way, it's better just to watch it on TV and then also provide minute by minute analysis. So that's what that's my go-to when I watch these games. I I watch it on TV and then I have my laptop in front of me and then I'm typing as well. Mm-hmm. What was what game was the what game has been the absolute highlight of you watching the Macedonian? Was would it have been the Germany Germany game or was it the does the Georgia qualifying game take precedence over that? 
I would take based on significance the Georgia win because I mean Germany that was a great win and of course people were shocked and I, I mean I was surprised too. I didn't expect us to win I thought we would play well but the Georgia win in terms of significance winning that game and reaching Euro 2020 I don't think you can beat that so I would say the highlight has been that playoff final against Georgia in Tbilisi when we won 1-0 and Pandev ended up scoring the winning goal so that was kind of like a fairy tale in terms of you can't write it I mean it's just Pandev scoring the game winner to send his country yeah. at Euro 2020 at age 38, and he's thinking about retiring potentially after Euro 2020. So we'll see. Yeah, that's, that's it's fairy tale stuff. We have we have one um, final slightly lighter question that we ask in everyone, and it's um, if you were if it was able to go for a beer or a coffee with a member of the Macedonian team, past or present, who who would you choose? Oh, I think it's easy. It would be Alioski. He's he's crazy, but in a good way. <laughs> and uh, just, yeah, I mean, I think fans of Leeds United can kind of tell you Johnny Kim. I mean, the guy is is crazy, but I mean, he's reliable. I mean, you can think of him and you can look at, you can look at his antics and think this guy is wild and crazy. But you know what? He's very reliable. He's always available. The teammates love him. But he's somebody who likes to have fun. So if I can have one player on the team to have a coffee or beer with, it would be Alioski. All right, great answer. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us here for this. Little, yeah, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. You guys yeah, have a good one. Yeah, this was great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, take care, man. Yep, take care. I'm sure Alex already has told you this is just a very very casual chat about uh, the, the the teams at the Euros and kind of the teams that you support. And for us, it would be very interesting if you could talk a little bit about yourself at the beginning, uh, kind of where you're from specifically in, in Austria and maybe what kind of local teams you support, any kind of in that, that direction. Uh, okay, so basically, um, I'm from Vienna, but my parents are Turkish, so I was born there, so I'm Austrian, <laughs> identified more as Austrian than Turkish. And... Uh, um, so basically, football is in both countries uh, a big deal, uh, the most uh, popular sport. And um, I um, I was like, when I was a child, I was a fan of Rapid Vienna. Um, but I kind of stopped uh, supporting or watching the Austrian league because it is not as exciting. And um, it seems like Sunday football somehow. Yeah, so uh, I basically like started watching more the uh, like major football leagues, like the Premier League. So I'm a Liverpool fan, and um, then some Italian league, uh, like because due to the closeness to Austria, so it like seems like uh, the natural uh, league to watch as well, uh, because we can watch some Italian uh, TV. Uh, like um, operators so and yeah uh, that's basically it so but i have been going to like uh, watching games and so on it's like a like an activity with uh, friends you do and then you uh, like buy some fries and uh, frankfurter and just and uh, we have like uh, I think a lot of people support uh, like watch football in Austria. So me and my friends we used to go to a lot of pubs and watch Champions League, uh, UEFA League. Even like my friends are crazy about the German league mostly. So we like watch pretty much everything and spend a really nice day uh, in pubs. Even though all the Germans complain that the German league is so boring by now, with Munich winning every title since forever. Um, but so you said that you are also going to the to the stadiums to watch it live. Have you also been to one of the Austria's Austria matches um, in the past? Yes, I think I have been. I can't remember because uh, it has been in my youth. So. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's basically I've been also doing a lot of public viewing because uh, we have had the Euro uh, in. 2008 I think if I'm not yeah yeah and there we went to a lot of public viewing so it's basically also watching football <laughs> yeah and do you have any special memories uh from the time watching at public viewing any incidents that happened any specific matches where mm -hmm. you were cheering yeah, so them on Austria was kind of disappointing to be the host and not going uh, more than the group stage. 
so at some point I started turning into uh, like supporting Turkey. <laughs> yeah. Like I think that a lot of immigrants well, they do the same in Austria. You know, we like if Austria wins, we're like happy, but Mm-hmm. If our like family's country is uh, like um, against Austria, I'm usually one like like the better side should win. It's okay, but it kind of ends up with, with Austria losing. So I do remember that peop- like uh, Aust- uh, it was like a match Turkey versus um, Croatia. So we have a lot of Croatians and mm-hmm. Turkish people in Austria. And it was like a drama, and it was uh, Turkey scored in overtime and won, and people were just Turkish people were just screaming, and uh, Croatian hooligans were banging their heads against some uh, balls <laughs> because they were totally crazy. So this is one of my uh, uh, best memories actually from that. So because you can, you can't really expect much from Austria, even though I don't think we have a bad team. I think we have quite some good players <laughs> who go and uh, play abroad, like yeah. in Italy or in the UK. But they, as a team, they just don't like seem to click. Mm-hmm. What would you do if um, if Austria was playing Turkey later on in the tournament? Have you do you just how would you decide? I mean, I think and like. I, it's like I don't have a Turkish flag in my apartment. I have a big Austrian flag. <laughs> so that's that settles it. Okay, so yeah. that's that's decides it. <laughs> yeah, but how how well do you think Austria will do in this tournament? Because it's you know it's like a, la- a long time since they won a match in a major tournament. But actually, it is like I think we have like um, they say we have like a, a weird fear because we embarrassed ourselves uh, the last time with even losing against the Faroese Islands for. Uh, uh, like I think nine zero or something like this mm-hmm. or something. Uh, I don't know if it was the Euros or the World Cup, but I try to forget about this. Yeah, <laughs> we basically lost against amateur players. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think there's like kind of a spell where we think uh, we are not gonna do well and uh, uh, like people are afraid. And but I've seen that the first games we had uh, for the qualifications, they were actually bad but somehow we turned it around at some point and we haven't been too bad so and we played against uh, northern macedonia in uh, like the qualifiers so i think this is a team we can beat uh and ukraine i don't think that they're so strong uh they're they have more individual good players so the netherlands we're not going to be able to beat (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess it's going to be between second and third place. But I would be super disappointed if it was the yeah. third place. And it would be a big thing, right? If you were to be- become get second place or even third place and then through the mechanics end up in the in the um, final stages of the tournament, that would be a big step for Austria, right? Because they've never managed to uh, get promoted out of yeah. out of the group stages. Yeah, so it's it's it is very important and I'm like uh confident in the team actually. Yeah. How's the public uh on the media kind of the, the the coverage on the team? Are they kind of getting in the 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 spirit um and cheering them on or are they a bit more skeptical based on the record that the team has had in the past? I think they're okay. always skeptical. I mean, I actually I uh, read up something yesterday because I was like I have even forgotten who's in our group because of Corona. Like I didn't really, I didn't even think it would uh, happen. Yeah. So when I looked up, I saw that uh, people even wanted us to withdraw from the tournament we held in our own country. So I think it is like very skeptical. Uh, skeptical. And mm. it's also I think we have like. I think it's there. There is generally a fear that we are gonna lose against big teams like the Netherlands. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, yeah. there is some uh, hope. Like ev- everyone is like, uh, you know, uh, there is also like in Austria. I think that uh, supporting football also goes hand in hand a little bit with nationalism. 
So the more nationalistic fans are, of course, going to be, uh, be behind Austria, no matter what. But like from a non-nationalistic perspective, yeah. I think that it is time for us to uh, like step up our game. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have one. The final question that we've been asking everyone is uh, if they could pick a player past or present from the national team to go for a drink with, who would they pick? Who would you pick for, for Austria? Oh, I would definitely pick <laughs> Anatovic. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's a bit of a crazy child. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like I, w- I would just like to ask him um, why he is he he hasn't put a lot of effort into uh, becoming a like bigger player to go to bigger clubs mm-hmm. uh, because like what what we uh, think of, about him is that he has a lack of self discipline. Yeah. He's also not quite the most popular in terms of he's too arrogant. Um, okay. So I I would love to like hang out with him for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, sounds good. So so best of luck for the Austrian team anyways. Uh, let's hope that they'll make it to the group stages. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we need some goals. I hope yeah, I'm not too I, I want them to get their win at least. <laughs> yeah. 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 Alright, he all the goals now. <laughs> all right. Have a lovely thank, evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Maybe briefly introduce yourself, like how, uh, maybe like where you're from or how you, how long you've been covering the Ukrainian national team and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Andrew Todos. I've been, well, I've been following Ukrainian football since I've been, I was four years old, my first match. Um, ever was England versus Ukraine at the old Wembley Stadium one of the last games there and then I properly got more stuck into it and I got a bit older as um, at the 2006 World Cup Ukraine's first tournament and then you know I was casually supporting them went to games went to away days that sort of thing dressed up as like a Cossack um, went to uh, Euro 2016 um, the embarrassment of a tournament that it was for Ukraine and then after university finished um, in 2018 I set up my page that I run now Zori Londonsk because there wasn't really that much English language material on Ukrainian football and as I followed it for myself anyway I thought why not share that with the masses yeah, cool. What what has been some of the like highlights? Like, what have been the games that you've covered or um, watched that have been like the, for Ukrainian football have been the highlights? Euro twenty sixteen that I mentioned was definitely the low light. So it can't get much worse than that. Zero um, zero points and zero goals from three <laughs> games. But <laughs> zero goals. Um, but high. Uh. What happened to Ukraine in twenty sixteen? Because obviously, uh, like they lost to Northern Ireland, Poland, and Germany, but. Yeah, before that, had they thought that, you know, they would have a good tournament or like, what was the story there? I mean, I don't think there was that bad of expectations going into that tournament, really. I think, you know, they thought they might do well, especially against Northern Ireland and maybe give it out with Poland. And because, you know, the Euros now, three teams qualify potentially from a group. <laughs> there were expectations that something would happen there. But, you know, that ended. Shevchenko became the manager. Um, from legendary player to potentially legendary manager, depending what he pulls off this summer. Um, but yeah, I guess the highlights that I've seen so far, because since I've been covering on 2018, it's actually been one of the most positive trajectories of Ukrainian national team in like their 30 year history. So good timing. Um, and, uh, it all started with the nation's league in 2018, the debut tournament. They, uh, won they won their sort of League B group. I went to a, Czech, a game in Czech Republic there, which was a really good atmosphere. There was like about 5,000 travelling fans in like a tiny little 10K stadium. Mm. And um, there was like loads of pyro, um, people like just topless. And uh, and then at the very end, it got a bit ugly with like the riot police and stuff. Started being up a few of the Ukrainian ultras. I claim were that you I in, got, were you in there with them or were you just covering a sort of press in the in the press? um I know at that point I wasn't like 
properly press covering. I was yeah. more like uh, from the fan point of view. Um, yeah. So yeah, this was this was back in the sort of days when I was getting involved in that sort of stuff. <laughs> and um, uh, one yeah. of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we we had we we when when I was obviously in the stands, I, I used to travel. We used to do at least uh, sort of one one game one away game a year or something like that with a big group of us from um, the UK. Um, because I'm born in London and lived here all my life, but I'm got Ukrainian heritage hence the connection as to why I yeah. I follow the sport um and yeah that 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 was quite you know lively bit of atmosphere got the blood pumping and that was sort of the first match where Ukraine started going up and then following that there was the Euro 2020 qualifying campaign which was probably the highlight you know um 2019 that highlight year for Ukraine where they finished the first ever calendar year unbeaten um mm-hmm. in a history um was at the portugal game where they won 2-1 in kiev a uh, historic win where it secured them the top spot um for the euro group you know against the current european champions yeah uh, then like yeah. at the very end of the match it was like a packed olympijski stadium so 70,000 um plus and then like in the center circle Ukraine have adopted the Icelandic clap as their own, but like a similar take where in between each sort of gap, um, it's like Ukraina and, um, and yeah, so all the players were in the center circle doing it. And like, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy, but I'd say probably, um, and then the biggest sort of, probably the best performance I've seen from Ukraine was um, a 5-0 battering of um, Serbia in Lviv, which was sort of unprecedented. No one really expected Ukraine. And that's been regarded as one of the greatest performances in Ukrainian history. Um, Just the way that Ukraine moved the ball forward, the electric atmosphere... It was it was really good to watch. People like will know Andriy Shevchenko as this legendary striker, but this is his first job in coaching. So I'm curious, as like, did people predict that he would have this success with the Ukrainian team? Like, what's his oh. style? Like, how has he kind of brought this about? Well, to answer that first question, no. Um, I think <laughs> a lot of people, like, when he came into the job, were like, "What the hell." Um, it doesn't necessarily, you know, it was his first job in coaching. It's quite a prestigious job for the greatest Ukrainian mm-hmm. player of all time to just go straight into management and get his um, first role as, you know, the national team job. And he was also part of the coaching staff during that Euro 2016 um, qualifying campaign. So everyone sort of knew semi that that, that tournament was sort of Partly, I think he was involved in some of the, you know, the decisions on the pitch and that sort of stuff. So, you know, there was scepticism when he first joined. And I mean, the first two years weren't too good. Um, Europe, well, World Cup 2018 qualifying was pretty subpar. Um, Ukraine finished third in the end um, in a group of like Croatia and Iceland um, and Turkey. But it was just it, that foot. They just didn't seem to be much of a plan. But like I was mentioning about the, you know, the Nations League, um, from there it seemed that this sort of the philosophy that Shevchenko wanted to bring in um, started to sort of work, started to sort of be set in stone with the players that he picked as well. So like all the big players that we sort of know in the team now, you know, Alexander Zinchenko, Malinovsky, um, Yaremchuk. Um, those sort of players, they were introduced during that Nations League campaign and it's sort of grown as a collective and they're sort of certain in how they want to play. And basically, Shoshenko's philosophy, per se, is to to play sort of on the front foot, count, um, attacking football. So they want to play out from the back, um, you know, progressive build-up play through the, through the park or down the wings and, you know, They've had quite a lot of success doing that. Um, it sort of got slightly found out during the Nations League A last autumn um, when Ukraine played against Spain and they got absolutely battered 4-0. And there was just like, 
there's like no alternative like it looked like what the hell's going on here um because ukraine were like pressed out and it just looked like well Chevis finally got some coaching to do sort of thing to see how to, to fix um and suddenly well to be honest he it, it got even harder for him because uh, during that October campaign, uh, like half the squad got um, that he called up got hit by COVID. So he had to call up some other players. But credit to him and his coaching staff, which is actually made up of um, a few Italians, uh, Andrea Maldera and uh, Mara Tosotti, who's uh, got history at AC Milan. <clears throat> They've sort of helped the team build on those mistakes that they've made. And I think it's been actually quite positive that they had this sort of league experience um, ahead of the Euros. Um, you know, had the Euros been last year, maybe Ukraine would have gone in cold, despite having the momentum from that 2019 campaign. It could have all just gone awry and unfurled, you know, slightly prematurely at the final tournament. Whereas now I think Ukraine are a lot more prepared. Like, what is the expectation about what is achievable for Ukraine? Because I'm just thinking, we've spoken to somebody from North Macedonia and he seemed quite confident about targeting the Ukraine game as something, as, as where they would get their win. Yeah, um, well, Shevchenko's already said himself that the main target is to get out of the group. And that's like the bare minimum. Um, Ukraine have never got out of the group at the Euros. They've been at the Euro 2012, which they obviously hosted, and Euro 2016, which we've already spoken um, a fair bit about. And they've only won one game out of six matches. So, you know, they need to build on that. They need to score some goals, which will be a positive, which is something they've actually been struggling of late. I think... um, I think they've only they've only scored more than one goal in like yeah. two out of their last twelve matches or something like that. So goals are slightly hard to come by, but the chances they create are like unbelievable in terms of um, is, is the numbers. Just not putting for them example, in, or what, is the, what is the issue? Well, yeah, well, yeah, is not okay. as key as he used to be. Um, in, in all honesty, he's obviously been injured a fair bit w- w- during his time at West Ham. Yarmolenko played his first 90 minutes against Northern Ireland um, in a friendly, you know, his first 90 minutes in about four or five months. And he still looked a bit rusty in terms of, you know, finishing in front of goal. And he's obviously lost any bit of pace that he used to have. But I still think he's going to be a key player during the Euros in terms of he will probably be starting on the right wing and captain the side in the absence that Andrei Piatov, veteran goalkeeper, has lost his place in the team to the the younger and uh, more informed Jorge Bushjan. And yeah, um, the, the issue with the finishing of chances is that, I don't know, it's just like either the keeper's been saving them or just like... Uh, the the forwards or the midfielders just can't get their shot away properly it's like it's either going wide or something like that so hopefully they're just saving all of these um all their all their energy for the final tournament um and we'll see what happens there (laughs) yeah and and truly chef and truly chef has an idea yeah absolutely makes this work right i mean based on his personal career he he should have (laughs) <laughs> the the issue with that obviously is that there's probably no one of the same caliber as him in terms of strike rate. Roman Yaremchuk, who is the centre forward, is probably the best um, striker that Ukraine have had since he retired in 2012. So that's a positive. Um, but yeah, I think Yaremchuk as a forward, he's probably one of those that needs about three chances, and you know maybe one of those goes in, and you know. In the big games, you might not be afforded that many attempts, but we'll see. Um, because Ukraine, I think, over the average of their sort of four or five games that they've played this calendar year, um, the average sort of amount of goals, like uh, well, shots on or off target, is like 17. So that's pretty big it just and they've only scored one goal in each of those matches <laughs> so it just it just needs some sort of and 
I've already discussed this sort of on Twitter and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a general consensus that at the end of the day, as long as they score one goal and even get a draw, it might be enough to get out of the group. But then the knockout stages, just take it to penalties. So the defence is quite yeah. strong, right? I was reading they've only conceded, only conceded four goals in the qualifying campaign. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a strong, organised defence. Um, however, there is a new 18-year-old centre-back who's sort of had a rise, who's had a meteoric rise over the past 12 months who will be probably starting at right centre-back alongside the more experienced Mikola Matvienko. Okay. Um, but he, he looks good. He's like one of the young guns to watch, I guess, at this tournament. What, what is he's, his name? Ilya Zabarny. Okay. Um, and, he, and he's been... He's Dynamo Kiev centre-back. He was drafted into the Dynamo Kiev team at the start of the 2021 season because they had some injuries at centre-back. He got directly promoted from the under-19s made his senior debut in the Ukrainian Premier League. Then he made his senior debut in the Champions League. And then he made his senior debut in a 7-1 defeat to France um, in a friendly last October during that COVID um, period. Okay. But he's um, he's been a sort of starter in all the big matches for Ukraine and Dynamo Kiev since. So, you know, a, a lot's expected from him. Are you heading to any of the, the games, uh, Andrew? Yes, I have got. Um, I'm hoping to head to all three group stage matches. Well, that's big. That should be pretty exciting then. So, which the first game is against the Netherlands, right? Or yeah, and then we've got then we've got North Macedonia and Austria um, as the last one, which I probably is the least one I'm looking forward to, based on our chats with, um, based on my own chats with some Austrian experts who say that the style seems quite similar to Ukraine's and. It's going to be a rather awful a match dour. of football, like probably <laughs> three, but, three shots but, in the whole game. Yeah, <laughs> but but maybe considering, I mean, the the setup of the group, this might be the decisive one, right? Exactly. Potentially, it could be like a bit of a, a, a final shootout for you know any space between one to three. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully, Ukraine aren't out by then. But um, I'm quite positive. I'm not going to lie. I've been telling people well since I because I. I actually went to see all of that Euro 2020 qualifying campaign. I've seen a fair amount of the matches during um, the Nations League and League A as well, uh, live. And I don't know, there is something about this the Ukraine side um, of late compared to, you know, years gone by where there seems to be like a, something, like a, a spark in them, like this sort of team collective where it's the sum of all its parts arts rather than you know one talismanic individual like Andrew Shevchenko fine there are some big players in the littered across the team but ultimately they all combine together and um, hopefully there will be some good football to see and some positive results to match yeah that sounds great I gotta say from both of the pot portrayals of North Macedonia and Ukraine now I'm really looking forward to that match because you put it forward with just confidence that it sounds like it might be might be a very good one we'll, we'll see we couldn't beat Kazakhstan in um, March so who knows <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, should just, you should have just kept that quiet move. don't mention it <laughs> I have um, one final question that we've been asking all of our guests, and it's um, if you could go for a beer with the player, past or present, from Ukraine, who would it be? Oh, it uh, has to be uh, Andrei Omelenko. Um, he's he's just a great guy. I've had the chance to meet him a couple of times, but obviously quite fleetingly. But yeah, just was my idol growing up as a kid and, well, teen years. <clears throat> and yeah, it's just seems pretty switched on as a player and that sort of stuff could be a banter and I think it would be a be a, a nice event if they ever popped off okay that sounds good Andrew thank you so much for uh, giving us a bit of an insight into Ukraine I wish I hope that good tournament for you I hope you enjoy the games and I hope Ukraine actually get out of the group stage for the first time thanks very much To kick things off, do you want to maybe introduce yourself, like maybe where in Austria you're from, maybe what football team you support, that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, so uh, first of all, thanks so much for, for organizing that. I love the idea of doing such a podcast. <laughs> and uh, I am Fantastic. from uh, from Graz in Austria, which is the second biggest city. 
and uh, not very famous, not like uh, usually in Denmark, for example, people know Vienna plus one skiing area. So it's not very common, but it's a, like a student city of 200,000, 300,000 inhabitants. And I studied there as well. I come from there. And uh, right now I'm living in Copenhagen to study. And I'm not so much of a, I'm not a big fan of the Austrian football national team. But I, I like to watch it, of course. <laughs> but doesn't think they're good people. Uh, how, how come, how come <laughs> you're not a big fan? No, there's not much to do with that. It's more like the opposite. I, I, yeah. I really don't like this patriotic approach when you look some sport and then you're just like, oh, okay, they're, they're my nationality. I have to support them, yeah. which is kind of like a reflex that many people do. But yeah. I kind of want to counter that. But still, I enjoy watching. Do, it. do you think, though, it's easier not to fall into that trap when the performances of your nation <laughs> not, uh, not are the not the very, very best? <laughs> probably, probably. That's uh, as an Austrian, that's easier than uh, as a German after winning the the World Cup, for example. Because <laughs> I'm not a very patriotic guy, but then whenever I watch football, I do fall into that trap, and I'm very excited for Germany playing. So. But there's yeah. that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally get that. I think for me, it's the same. Like if Austria would be like super, super successful, which I haven't experienced yet so often, then I probably would be more proud to talk with international people about like, hey, did you see Austria play the other night? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have a do you have a highlight, though, of watching the Austrian team? Maybe like a good memory? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. So um, I think so. It has been quite a quite a gap of Austria joining a big tournament like Euros or World Cup, and then in two thousand and eight, we kind of uh, we kind of found a very smooth solution to play at such a such a tournament by hosting. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> so we we shared it with with Switzerland, and then uh, we we've been part of it, and it was a uh, shitty one shitty performance after the other but then there was one situation where austria somehow got a penalty and then everybody was about to know okay guys at the public viewing and everything and like we are about to score Get ready yeah. like it's so likely <laughs> and then uh ivica vastic who is like a austrian legend went to to the penalty and he's he has like uh, roots, I think, in in Croatia or Serbia or something like that. So his German actually, when you watch his interviews, is not the best. So he's actually not really an Austrian, but he had the permission for playing for the Austrian national team because he played in Austria for such a long time. Yeah. And then he took the ball, and he scored. And Austria, I think that the game ended one-one. But we we sh we we scored one goal in this. Yeah, time. <laughs> I think it was. I think the goal. It was like an added time, right? It was like yes. right at the end. So yeah. it was like. Yeah, and save I think a the point. the foul was super early. I think it was like in the 87th, but then okay. everything took so long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even, even without the VAR, I, you really had the feeling that the whole team was nervous of scoring this goal, and then like Bastic just took it, and he was just like, "All right, guys, I'm yeah. I'm gonna do that." I, when I was researching Austria for this podcast, I came across this stat, which I think is like, it's kind of crazy. And I'm wondering whether you'll know it. And it's, um, when was, the question is, uh, when was the last Austrian win at a major tournament? Like when, <laughs> when did they last win a game at a major tournament? <laughs> That's, uh, could be, so it's, it's far away. Like it has to be before I was born. Because they, they didn't win a game at, 2008 no they then... did not they did yeah. not uh i would assume something like um 82 no, it's actually the, the 1990 world cup against the u.s so what? Not, not, not as far back as that <laughs> <laughs> but that is far away yeah 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 it's <laughs> but what do, you, what do you think about austria's chances this time like uh it's an interesting group with the Netherlands, Ukraine, and North Macedonia. I feel like outside of the Netherlands, then it should be like a reasonable, even game for Austria. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. I, I see a little bit of a chance, but then since Austria does not have the most experienced team, yet a team full of big names in a way, also in the in the German-speaking area, especially mm -hmm. the Bundesliga. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think the second place in this group would definitely be an option, which would be a great achievement. Like yeah. everybody's expecting from you to win against. I mean, a, a win would be an achievement. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, steady horses, steady horses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but also but also having North Macedonia in the group, you need to have at least one win. <laughs> yeah. And then the Netherlands, you cannot expect much from that game. And then the Ukraine is kind of like a 50-50 chance. I think that we will fuck it up somehow and yeah. end up third in the group. But uh, maybe they'll they'll prove me wrong. Yeah, and maybe the squad being young is also a good thing, right? They might have yeah. come in with a new mentality, not the mental baggage of the losses that they've experienced in previous tournaments. So, yeah, yeah, I hope yeah. so. I hope so. The, the only thing is that how Austria plays is not a very like modern way of playing football. It's kind of like we play like you played in two thousand and eight, like very static, very organized, but not creative whatsoever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there are some like exciting names that people would know, like like Savitzer, Alaba, Anadovic, that you know people would be exciting. Yeah. If you were to pick like maybe another player who be could be quite important for Austria, who would you? Uh, I think I think like defensively, I would go for maybe Dragovic. He could, he could be like a leader to this young group because he has experience. He now moved to I think to. Uh, Red Star Belgrade, if I'm not wrong, and then Baumgartner, who made a great season for Hoffenheim, not Baumgartlinger, but Baumgartner, and then high hopes would be on Sasha Kalajic from Stuttgart, but I don't see him stepping up yet in a in a big tournament. So I I really hope that Alaba will make a good tournament. Yeah, that would be nice to see, especially now switching the clubs. Like as a Real Madrid player, that would be amazing. Yeah, he's kind of like the key, right? If if Australia to be successful, then he'll have to go through Alaba. Absolutely. The thing is, just like when you talk to like very conservative Austrians, like uh, the the fifty, sixty year old guys sitting in like bars talking about football, smoking, then they will always criticize the role of David Alaba in the in the national team because he's. He's a world-class left back, but he's not a good central midfielder. Yeah, and I totally did. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, wait, but but, but but can you still smoke in bars <laughs> in Austria? Well, you could. I lived in Vienna in 2016, yeah. and you definitely could. Yeah, so. you can. You still oh. can. That is something that uh, was talked about. There was a big like a uh, referendum in 2017, yeah. I think it was, but people voted against it. And so when you can still you, you, you can still you can smoke a bars and talk bad about Alaba being in settlement field. That's great country, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a place set that you're gonna watch the Austrian games here, like a bar here in, in, in Copenhagen or what's there? Uh, I think I'm gonna watch it in uh, Stefanshus in mm -hmm. Stefansfield. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, I, I've been there quite some times now. Free advertising so. for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this goes out to you. <laughs> yeah, actually, I shouldn't mention that because maybe people will listen to this podcast, but never mind. Yeah, oh. it's, a, it's a great place. And I got to know some people there. Like also, I, I had the power of the remote control there at some, some place. So maybe I can have that again and switch to the Austrian games because mm -hmm. I don't see the Danish people so interested in Austrian games. But... I think if I ask kindly, then they will show the Austrian game. Yeah, sounds fantastic. Have you ever played on the soccer pitch that that's right next to Stefan Sus? Uh Yes, yeah, I played against uh, Nurbro United. Ah, oh, because I'm always the guy standing like behind the fence watching people play because it <laughs> looks so nice. And so far <laughs> in our Volvox career that we had in Denmark, Alex and I are here, we we uh, haven't we been able to play there yet. Pitches. Yeah, not All yet. Right. So that's good to know. All right, I have one final question that we've been asking all of our guests, and it's if you could have a beer or, or a coffee at Stefan's house, but other, other bars are available uh, with the past player or president of Austria, who would it be? That's a, that's a great question. I was thinking about that, actually. And I would go for um, Christopher Trimmer from Union Berlin, mm -hmm. because he seems like a very humble yet very fun person. Yeah. And uh, he he lived quite a life, like playing in Vienna, playing in Berlin. I think he really chose the cities instead of the clubs. And now, <laughs> and now he's at Union Berlin. And I had the I had the, the chance of going to the Union Berlin clubhouse as well because a friend of mine worked there, and he oh, wow. he talked to me about like 
the great personalities in the team. And one was Christopher Trimmer, and the other one was the goalkeeper coach, which is uh, Michael Kspurnik, another Austrian. Yeah. So I would go for Christopher Trimmer as, as the beer at Stefan's Hus. Right. Sounds very good. Sounds good. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining, Anton. Real pleasure. Wish Austria good luck in, in their group. I, I hope they get their win, at least. Thank you very much. I hope so as well. <laughs> yeah, best of luck. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.